that, that's gonna be very complicated, I son. I, I imagine. Let's okay. Let's try it. Let's try it. So hello everyone, welcome to the next episode of Cloud Udo, the podcast that is focused on cloud technologies. This podcast is delivered to you by Revelji, and I'm Stepan. And I'm Christian, and we are here with our special guest, Anthony Rudolph from Adjax. Hello, guys. Hey. Hi, Anthony. How are you? Hello. Good, good, good. What about you guys? Good, good as well. Yeah, we're really glad to have you here today, Anthony. And um, Anthony is uh, currently working as a CTO at AdCash, an online advertising platform for uh, digital advertisers and publishers. So maybe we can start with like a small warm-up, Anthony. Like uh, maybe you can tell a little bit more about yourself. Uh, what is your current job exactly? Uh, what you like uh, about it as a person? Um, sure. And just like a small intro. Yeah, sure thing. Um, I'll do a little bit of history then, because uh, nice. the the story is always uh, always nice to tell. Um, so yeah, I'm Anthony. As you said, I come from France actually. Uh, no, it's been what four years that I live in Estonia, uh, four or five years that I live in Estonia, um, full time. Uh, before that, I worked for the same company, for AdCash, in remote working when I was in Finland as well, and then uh, for my last year internship. So I went uh, to an engineering school that is really, really focused on development. So I entered the company as a developer, as an intern developer. Uh, I was doing some JavaScript and some PHP. I was really bad at JavaScript. But, um, but uh, since then, uh, I knew... Um, the CTO of the company, so I was kind of always keen to help him, and uh, that made me fall to the other side of the the development. I started working in infrastructure with servers more, moved to a sort of infrastructure engineer DevOps position that we had in the company at the moment, and then forward from that, um, I did multiple things, architecture in the solution architecture in the company. And now I took the position of CTO a bit more than a year ago. Um, and this is, uh, this is, yeah, this is where I am right now. Okay, cool. But why did you decide to move to Estonia, like physically? Because you, as mm. you said, you were working remotely beforehand. So. Well, this has, uh, we will probably uh, uh, talk about that as well for the CTO position, because it's the same story. Basically, for me, the reason why I moved to Estonia and why I accepted the more managerial position while I'm actually a tech guy through and through from the beginning uh, of my of my career and my studies and everything um, is for exactly the same reason. When I was in France, I actually had no problem working uh, together with the people there. We had a very good synergy. Um, remote working was actually not too complicated for, for me, apart from maybe the risk of burnout, you know, if I did it like maybe four or five more years, maybe we wouldn't have the same discussion right now. But um, but uh, I was working, let's say, long hours, but uh, I was enjoying it. So it wasn't a problem at all for me. The problem, however, is that when comes the, when you actually notice something that you think, okay, actually, I think we could do that better. We could do something different. You actually can't really change it easily when you aren't on place. It's really hard to be a change agent in a company if you are the only one remote. Or if everybody is remote, then the problem doesn't exist. But if you are the only one remote, then that becomes a bit complicated. And I had uh, multiple ideas, things that I wanted to change, things I wanted to be more involved in, and things like this. So this is the reason why I moved to Estonia. And as well, because 
on a more um, uh, how do we say that like pragmatic and day-to-day -day, uh, life thing is that uh, back in France uh, on my first year on my first job I had to pay so much tax at the end of the year that I was like, okay, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't know if you know the system in France, but we are doing the tax is is not uh, like it changed recently, but it wasn't at the source at the time. So you're working, you think you're doing everything fine, you know, like I'm just out of school, I'm getting my salary, everything is fine. And then at the end of the year, you somehow have to pay like a salary and a half of taxes. And I'm like, okay, what the hell? So um, this this was kind of weird. Uh, and, I, and also I wasn't like, I wasn't in a big city. In, in France, uh, and I actually despise big cities. I really don't like to live in stressful, large-scale big cities, like, for example, Paris, if you would take the example that usually everybody outside of France take. Everybody inside of France hate Paris, except the people who are living in Paris. But, um, but uh, like, for, for me, it was, like, absolutely not a possibility. And then I came to Estonia multiple times when I was remote for weeks, and I noticed that, actually, Tallinn is probably one of the best city I could live in because this has everything a big city should have. Uh, it, uh, it is connected. It has everything a capital city has. But it feels like I'm in a small town in, in back in France. There is no big stress, no a lot of movement. Uh, the city is pretty clean. It's interesting. It's beautiful. So day-to-day -day life you know look better there so this is also also displayed in the balance right it's very important if i was not feeling that well i wouldn't have moved but the feeling of living in estonia is great so and okay, also very uh, very welcoming to strangers like uh, at the time like you can speak english most of the people will understand you for me it's a big plus because apart from my english and my french accent with it I can't really speak any other language, and uh, and pronouncing and working and on some other country is much more complicated when you don't actually speak the language. Even some European country, like for example, I wouldn't advise a person who's only speaking English go to work in France. Um, it's really difficult, apart from the work environment, to actually like find people that actually speak English naturally. But in Estonia. Everybody and, and uh, everybody speaks English. Like it's uh, it's even uh, I always tell this story same like in, as in Finland that back in Finland uh, at the time with my ex-girlfriend uh, we went to see a movie. Um, we the movie ran late a bit and we left the cinema and there was no more bus. There was only one bus coming and we had no freaking clue which bus line we should take. And there was nobody here, like only the people who left the cinema. And basically that meant at the bus, there was only three kids that I would say are at max, they were 12 year old, right? And um, so obviously I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna take take my chance, you know, and talk to them in English because I don't speak Finnish and ask them, when is the last bus for Espo? And do they know in which direction on which stop I should need to take? So I went and asked, the kid answered me in perfect English, like where I needed to go, went, like showed me the picture, showed me everything and tell me there. And my ex-girlfriend next to me who spoke like two words of English at the time, uh, told me like, like, how the hell is this possible, right? Like, this kid is 12, like how does he speak better English than me? Uh, and, and this is like something that is really typical uh, from a lot of actually old world country. Uh, I think Spain is really similar in the, in the stories. 
So this is something that I did not feel at all when I was coming here as a foreigner in, in Estonia. And I think this is a great plus uh, and might explain as well why so many uh, uh, people come to work to Estonia, that why it attracts so much talents. Because as long as you speak English, you're already feeling at home there. So it's really good. Yeah, I have to fully agree with that. I'm in Estonia for one or almost two years. And I did like uh, settlement here was like so, so simple. and. Uh, yeah, the country is very welcoming. So yeah, I have to confirm that. Okay, so uh, maybe come back to the, like uh, maybe changing of your position from the engineering to, you know, to the management one. Mm -hmm. uh, like, how do you like it? You said that you are CTO for one year. Uh, yeah, a bit more than one year now, yeah. 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 Um, how do I like it? Well, it's a very big question, actually. Um, I'm, I think I like it, at least for now, everything is, is good. Uh, I think this, uh, the change of position really is tied to the same thing, the same reason why I wanted to move to Estonia at the same place is that I felt I had more impact in things that I could actually change. And I had more ways of supporting uh, the teams in the company because I've always been trying to kind of help everybody uh, in the team, being technically on the business side, as an architect, as an analysis, and et cetera. And this isn't something that um, I really wasn't willing to lose and moving to the CTO position, I actually had just more ways of doing this. And this is this is something that uh, I think I enjoy the most. What I enjoy the most is uh, providing solutions to, to, to people. And this might be uh, working with the teams to find a new better process for them to work, uh, working with the team to find a new tech or a new approach, uh, giving a direction to something that I believe will make us better, smoother, more efficient, etc. And this is something that I, I think was very important in my decision. Uh, plus the fact that uh, I've been in the company now for nearly eight years. Uh, and at, at that moment, like it doesn't, didn't, I don't really know when it happened, but at one point in the process, you know, I, you start to think that the company, the project of the company as, as your, your pet project, you know, it's like your baby and you have to see it till the, till the, the maturation, till it's perfect. So it's a bit how I, I kind of approach this. Um, for me, the CTO position comes with quite a lot of, um, of uh, challenges uh, that are also new. This is also something nice because it renews a bit the the challenges. Uh, I wouldn't say that tech uh, doesn't challenge you because I think tech, especially at tech, is a very challenging place to, to work in. But um, adding on top of that, uh, all the topics of organization, of how to make actually the whole machinery better and work together is really a great challenge and it's really interesting so it's actually i think that's the two main reasons why i actually took that position and why i'm still enjoying it after a year and, and so okay okay interesting uh by the way um i thought it's just like advertising company um do you have like close to this uh you know close to this industry or is it more like that you like the technology that you are using and that's why you like the company <laughs> Huh, it's a very interesting point. So do I like the industry? Um, hmm. The honest answer is that I think our industry is kind of flawed. There is a lot of problem there, um, being the users and also actually the understanding of that industry. A lot of people actually 
don't like uh, ads. They are saying, oh, ads are bad, etc. But at the same time, they are the same people who are buying for sponsored content, who are uh, using those features because sponsor content, retargeted ad, and that type of thing, which are a bit technical jargon, but ads that are targeted to user actually deserve, like actually are aimed at serving the user. Uh, the same way as you have your uh, smart uh, systems in Apple, in Google that propose you software, propose you application, uh, suggest you changes, like etc. This all these things. Are, come to try to help the user with more intelligence into what we propose instead of just giving them random stuff. And I think this is the advertisement actually is a very big backbone, but this is something that I did not know when I entered the, the business, right? It's something that I really learned with the business that is a big backbone to the open internet. Like without this um, uh, system that actually allows people from any background, from any places, from like it's not discriminative. At, apart from the World Garden, uh, which uh, Google, Facebook, etc., which are obviously able to put their rules now uh, because they are so strong, right? Uh, they aren't as discriminative. So this is an, an advertisement business that is not discriminative, and because of that, it comes with the good. Uh, I've seen like crazy good uh, campaigns of people who are doing this for pure branding, uh, bringing attention to some problems in the world. Like yeah, a lot of smart ways of using ads, supporting small uh, content creators. Uh, most of the content creators now uh, are switching to different models like subscription, etc. But all, all those things only work if that content creator is visible. And the only way of making it visible is either to trust uh, the big uh, company to make you visible. I'm telling you it works only when you are at the very beginning of a system. Uh, if you are the first streamer in the world, you are going to be uh, put in the spotlight. Right now, if you want to become a streamer, good luck. There is really, really a lot of things, and you have to make yourself visible. And advertisement, open advertisement, is kind of what I think is, is the, the important part there. But uh, there is also a shady part of this, right? Like uh, there is malware advertising campaigns. There is um, uh, all those uh, spam and scam system, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And this is like this is like the dirty part. But it kind it's it's unfortunate that it always will come with anything that is open and free. So you have to fight it. Uh, we also do that, and this is something that is really uh, important in the industry end of the way. But you have to fight it. But at the same time. If you want something to be open and, and free kind of, of access for everybody, then you will always have those bad guys that try to take like take uh, take it to to their own benefit. And this is yeah. So the industry itself, I would say like it's a bit of a love hate relationship. Um, uh, there is a lot of place that I find interesting, and the technical challenges. You touch some a point that is very interesting. The ad tech technical challenges are crazy good. Like they are really, really interesting. Uh, the business model is so aimed at uh, at making the best of very, very, very small actions, very small events. So as I always explain, like uh, when I explain the business model, is that you have millions and millions and millions of events and billions of events coming, all of them bearing one cent or of revenue or maybe a tenth of a cent of revenue and you have to make your margin out of that so you have to actually uh, be able to to optimize be efficient be be cost conscious etc into what you're doing and this is really an interesting challenge 
a lot of the hacker thinking. You have to think out of the box and things like this. So yeah, I think that okay. would be uh, for the advertising industry specific uh, specific industry, really niche uh, uh, in general. Okay, actually, actually, this uh, leads us, you know, to, to like another question, uh, which is partially connected with the thing what you said that uh, you mm -hmm. need to have you need to do the money on the very like low low margin or or just mm -hmm. like a few cents. So, uh, are you using actually some cloud technologies? And if yes, like which which of them? Yes, 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 I am. Uh, so we are actually using Google Cloud uh, in technologies in 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 terms of service provider, and we use from them mostly uh, right now their uh, VM services. So we 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 use uh, virtual machines from them uh, and all the networking suite that goes with it, uh, firewall, network balancing, like whatever. Everything goes there. Um, and main point, like very, very, very important point, we use as well uh, the scaling uh, potential there, the auto automatic scaling, let's say, which is uh, the main differentiator of running your machine in a bare metal setup where you have to install your machine yourself, is that you are actually able to respond fast to the scale. And for us, it's like, uh, it's a no-brainer. Uh, when you know when you know how the business is built, like we are very seasonal, for example. Uh, when people are at work, they don't consult that much website with ads. When they come back home, they do. Uh, you have this same period in the US and in some other side of the country, so mostly present in Europe. We are technically present everywhere, in every country. We can deliver ads everywhere. But uh, the main, let's say, uh, uh, place where we see visitors are US and Europe. And basically, from those two places, you South America as well, but so from those two places, you have different periods. So all this means, cyclists, like you have cycles. You have cycles of load. And the more... You basically have to do trade-off if you don't have auto-scaling. You have to choose, okay, I will shave off the peak of traffic that I get, so I will get less money to just to make sure that I don't pay too much, or I will pay much more than I'm supposed to pay for half of the time just to be sure that during the peaks, I manage it, right? So this was the old style of pre-scaling systems uh, when you were in bare metal. But now with the cloud, you actually don't need this problem at all. Like, like this problem doesn't exist at all. You can just bind everything to your load and make sure that you pay exactly what you actually need and that you answer to the best reliability and the best availability for your user. So I think that was definitely the main reason why we use cloud and still is now probably the main reason. Of course, a lot of things comes afterward, like especially now in nowadays years, you have like a lot of new topics copy coming up. Uh, this isn't something we do in the company, but for example, without public cloud, there is no way you can run a company with no ops uh, method. Um, this isn't actually, uh, this is something that I would say is quite interesting when you build a new project that hasn't have, that hasn't a requirement, a high requirement to super strong scaling. Uh, then in this case, going no ops with uh, all the facilities, Kubernetes or Docker, Terraform uh, systems, etc. Terraform can work everywhere, to be honest. But um, but stuff like Kubernetes uh, or App Engine, if you take the, the specifics of Google uh, services, are things that you can actually run without having any knowledge of operational admin sys, etc. Which means that 
this is this is actually perfect for a company that is starting. You can focus on development. You don't have to care about uh, about the infrastructure so much. All this comes at a cost, obviously. But at that time, you probably don't have that strong of a scale, and your product doesn't require a very very strong scaling potential, so that you're actually not uh, going overboard with the cost, and uh, and you're you're very safe. So this is like I think the cloud in general is nowadays. Uh, in nearly every business, there is a way of integrating all or part of the business to the cloud, and there is a uh, smart reason of doing so. Um, and doesn't the, mean the way that fits everything. Yeah, yeah actually, that was my question. Like, where where you see like uh, that it's not a good fit actually, and it's uh, not a good idea to use the cloud. Well, it really depends. Um, I would say. Uh, there is two things for me that uh, that are important. There is one thing first. Uh, cloud comes with uh, a fair amount of knowledge that you need to have beforehand when you are, you are using it. So you need to understand really well your architecture that you are not building some over-architected, over-engineered machine because that is going to be a nightmare later on to migrate. It's the same in bare metal. The difference is that in bare metal, you likely will not incur the costs uh, prohibition that the cloud will bring you there. Um, the only and the second thing that for me is, is is like the reason why we have some things outside of the cloud. So we use Google Cloud, but we also use some bare metal system. Um, we are hosted at least web for that. Um, so those uh, companies actually uh, can provide you things that are specifically scale to exactly what you need. So the, the cloud has to be generic. It has to be able to, to provide you as much tool as possible to scale infinitely, or virtually infinitely, into what you need. But it is much harder to actually custom-made hardware for you that actually will not become at a crazy cost. So what I would say is that the main reason why you would want to, to use uh, bare metal is if you know exactly what are your requirements, you are 100% sure of um, of the load that is going to come there, and you don't need a reactive scaling, like very fast reactive scaling. In this case, you can definitely build something in the in the bare metal, which I, which is both going to be easier to maintain in terms of reliability because uh, the cloud is not in your hand. If something goes wrong in the cloud, you have to hope that the companies running the cloud is going to do as fast as possible fixing the issues. In bare metal, you usually control everything apart from the really low level network things, which you can trust your operator uh, there. I would say, anyway, don't go bare metal with someone you can't trust in time. Things go with vendors that are trusted because this is too important to fail. And then uh, if you are 100% sure of the load, you can build something that is custom made for you that is uh, more efficient, more cost efficient than anything that is in the cloud. And I think this is the main point. Like cost efficiency is basically what you're looking at um, there. Provided you have all those requirements beforehand, you can actually use bare metal to, to go there. Yeah, thank, thank you, Anthony, for you know digging deeper and giving those insights on that matter. You already covered some of the questions I wanted to ask from you, so maybe we. <laughs> Sorry. We can, no worries. It's 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 awesome. I mean, uh, we love to hear that, and I think all the listeners also. So, but just you know, maybe understand like a little bit like more in a, in a in a specific way, like what are the actual challenges you face as a company that started as a startup? Like, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, do you have some kind of 
I can imagine you have some legacy systems or uh, technical mm, debt oh, that yeah. always, yeah, that comes up with the growth, like yeah, some we, parts of there. Exactly. So uh, um, I'm going to make a bit of a, a preaching uh, a talk uh, <laughs> about some <laughs> things, but um, something that uh, I is very uh, uh, core to, to me as a, as a tech is that I don't really believe in legacy. Uh, so legacy for me is a, is a term that has been invented as an excuse uh, to say that you don't want to dig into a code that is too old and that you don't understand. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a real problem. The technical depth is a real problem. But technical depth and legacy as, as, as it's uh, usually defined actually happens straight away. Even like you're developing a new system, it's likely that already part of that system is legacy because you've developed it uh, in a way that is over-engineered or under-engineered at the moment, um, you know you have done it for a reason, but it still is there. The, there is no documentation because you had no time to create that documentation. There is no, like, so already those parts of software are already legacy, or they are based on a software that you learned over the last six months, but that software already had two major because it's a two bleeding edge tech that you're using, it has already two major and it's not controlled and you have an issue uh, already with that and it's already legacy. So it's like, for me, legacy isn't a time frame. It isn't really a, a time frame. It's an approach to the code. So you can say that this code is legacy and consider it as a problem, or you can see this code as a piece of creation of whatever, of software that is solving a problem. Is that piece of code still solving the problem? Yes or no? If it's still solving the problem, then there is no reason to, to consider it technical debt. This isn't a problem yet. And I think what you need to have is a plan for that. You need to have a lifetime plan for these things. Okay, when do we, how do we evaluate those that actually will in the future, near future, far future, become a problem and will not be answering their, uh, their role anymore? And this is something that uh, is true for everything. And yes, we do have those problems, of course, in the company. That's like, I, I would say, I'm telling, that's why I was also making a little brief on the legacy. You don't have to come from a startup. You can be anywhere in the world. This software problem of legacy exists. I'm 100% sure. I, I, whoever is telling me we are a company, we have no technical depths and no, uh, the only reason why this, pers this person or this company would have no technical depth and no legacy is either because they don't produce code or they are uh, they have no clients so if they have no customer and uh, or they, they don't produce code then yes they probably have that but if they have any or the other for sure they have legacy they have technical debt already and this is something that is like i mean this is completely fine it's it's uh, something that needs to be accepted just you need to spend time on understanding how you're gonna deal with this on a generic level it needs to be it needs to be holistic not like for this exact problem, this is the solution. No, you need to have a holistic way of dealing with it. And you also need to have an approach that is positive to it. It shouldn't be negative. You shouldn't say legacy is bad. Uh, we shouldn't have it because 95% of the time, especially you talk about startup in this question, 95% of the time that legacy code is what allowed that startup to not be a startup anymore. So it had solved problem at one point. It is a piece of code that worked. It is a piece of code however that is outdated now. So that needs to be handled correctly. And those are challenges that I would say, if planned correctly, aren't very, very difficult. If you know that they will happen, if you are always kind of ready to have an eye on this, then it's not ever a problem. If you however go 
to the side where you leave that complexity and you basically just ignore it, like close your eyes on all the problems that are happening, then yes, you will definitely have problems uh, down the line. Uh, every company does it uh, for multiple reasons, and it is usually the right decision. You sometimes have to close the eyes on problems and let them be there because your focus is to bring money to your customer or to bring more customer, et cetera, et cetera. This is an important part of life of the startup. Uh, release as fast as possible, as much as possible to actually make your, put your feet in the door uh, of the market that you're trying to hit. And then, then you have the cost, the, the, the cost of all those things then that comes in afterwards. So you have to, to just have a plan on how you're going to be dealing with it. And we had a lot of issues like this as well. I mean, um, if you, if we talk about the complexity, like the, the moment we move to the cloud, Uh, was already like a breaking point of complexity where we actually were running a live system, like production serving scaling system in bare metal without scaling the server somehow. I don't know, we were doing this. Uh, like we, we were doing it, but uh, it meant, uh, you know, having failures, having less reliability, having less availability, having some people, me or the previous CTO, uh, waking up at night and rebooting 20 servers constantly to make sure that it actually serves traffic and not uh, die because of memory issues or whatever. Like so many different reasons that uh, that were there or trying to fit a database that should fit on, on a terabyte of uh, memory into 300 gig because that's that's what you have right now. So this is like, this is some challenge and complexity that obviously forces you to over-engineer some things. And when we went to the cloud, we had to deal with this. And this isn't a really simple thing. We made mistakes there as well. Like for example, taking, uh, I would say, By default, every time you hear a developer telling you, giving you the word revamp, be really careful about it, challenge it. Because it's very, very common that the reason why you want a revamp is because that code is considered legacy in the definition that I gave before, which might mean that by the time the revamp of that system, especially if it's a complex system is finished, it's probably already legacy because you took six months to develop it. So it's like, it can be quite difficult to, to do it, but we really need to challenge and ourselves as developers to not think on how to rebuild the whole system, but how to fix the problems of that system. So take a part out of the system, make it better, make it fitting the problems and connect it somehow with the old system. Take another part out and do it correctly, right? This is this is the service approach, basically, the monolithic to service approach. And this was, I believe, the biggest complexity that we had in, in, in the company, I mean, uh, at the time, where we started moving to cloud at the same time, we, un we were understanding that our system it was heavily monolithic and uh, we had no way of actually scaling it correctly. So we needed to move to, to a different software uh, charge. So right now I would say the main issue that comes from legacy uh, uh, system that are really legacy are treated when uh, we identify that they will bring problems. Uh, we are actually in the discussion right now, changing uh, changing something. The only reason we are doing it, it works fine now, but we want to make some upgrade to it. We want to change things. And that will not be possible with the previous technology without spending much more costs and resources on it to actually make it happen. Uh, when when it becomes to this breaking point, then it makes sense to, to do something about it and change it. Just as to be, yeah. So, so, sorry, Anthony. I just wanted to it. ask. 
Uh, do you have some like resources or books or some materials like, you know, from where you are actually gaining these like knowledge and experiences or it's just like learning by doing? Uh, it's fully, it's fully on-site learning here. <laughs> it's fully on-site learnings. We, all the things that I'm telling you, we made a mistake before. That's, I mean, none of this is something that when I went out of school or like uh, after reading a book, I would tell you, yes, this is how we should be doing it. And because the book uh, gave a good point, I'm sure there is some very good resources about this because I talked about uh, some people who are uh, reading more book than me and has much more knowledge there. But for me, it's really just about uh, knowledge about doing the things. And, the, and it's really like you have to admit your mistakes sometimes. So what as I was saying, we did this as well. We did a project where we redid our whole back office system. We did it, but we, the first way of doing it, we did it wrong. We just went with like three people said, okay, you have to redo the back office. See you again in six months. And and this like just doesn't work. Like you can't expect Rhythm to work this way. You need uh, you need this agility in the, in the feedback as well. You need so many things that are more organization around that type of initiative that you can't just consider it as a development product uh, project or something like this. You have to consider it as a whole initiative that can that take everybody in the company. This is like this is really a move forward for the company and not just for a development team to produce some software. And this is I think legacy is end of the day it's exactly this just about having a right process or the right, like I, I'm using the word process a lot, but maybe in this case, it's even a bit of culture. Uh, it's having the right culture toward those problems and processes to support it. And then you can you can really abstract yourself from all those problems and you know you have a method kind of to, to dealing with them. And uh, yeah, the, as you said, it's all learning. So failing is not a problem as long as you can, you are not going to be failing three times for the same reason. So excellent, excellent, Anthony. I mean, I was, I think, like for the listeners or all the CTOs who will uh, who will listen to this podcast, I think the biggest takeaway is as you as you just shared, like uh, this lifetime plan, and also this other other thing, like uh, you know, being able to close your eyes and not overthink sometimes when you have to yep. maintain the ongoing problems. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you have to you have to answer your customers. End of the day, right? The 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 reason you work and you develop and you build system is to answer a need of a customer, of internal customer or external, doesn't matter. But it's for you to answer a need. So it's important that you are actually answering that need. So mm -hmm. you can't only focus about technology. I have this discussion very often with developers in my team that uh, are very interested in, for example, a new tech or a new language, and they would want to integrate it. But I'm, I'm always saying, okay, yes, we can integrate it, but does it answer a need? Like, is there a reason why we are doing it that answers the need of a customer that is making their life better? Because end of the day, we work for this to happen. We don't work for just us having fun. Of course, if we can do both, then it's perfect. So we should always look into it. But it should, uh, it should be, we should extract our fun as a developer uh, by producing something that is appealing to, to, to our customer. And those mm -hmm. customers can be internal. This is very important because, for example, DevOps team that are really working uh, in, in bigger company where you have DevOps team and you have a lot of development team and those DevOps team are actually support the development team. Your customer are the development team. You need mm -hmm. to make sure they are happy. So this means, this means sometimes doing things that you don't like, uh, using some weird CI/CD uh, plugins that you hate because it's nightmare uh, to configure. But maybe you can make 
you know, your life a bit easier by customizing it for you. But end of the day, you have to provide that feature for the development team because that makes them work better. So if they work better, you you're a success. It's a success for you. Yeah, definitely. And thank you also for touching like uh, a point of culture because uh, I saw one of your talks from uh, 2018, which you took at DevClub.e, if I'm right, uh, where you mm -hmm. had an, where you and your colleague Aguarna uh, talked about the service-oriented architecture yes. and methodologies such as DevOps culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, how easy it is to implement those kind of methodologies to a fast-growing company? It's definitely not easy. Um, so especially if you don't have the, you know, if it it wasn't there from the beginning. So when you have a lot of different culture, all companies will have changing culture over the years. That's completely normal. Um, you have different things like culture and identity is different. You might want to conserve that, uh, to, to keep that identity that you had at the beginning. But you have to evolve your culture with what your people are. And in a startup, you will have some crazy uh, developers that are not a, that are on the brink of burnout constantly. And the culture will be different than when you are already more stable and you have a bigger team. Uh, you if you have a bigger team and you're already kind of on the top level of the startup, like transitioning to to uh, to a, a company uh, model. But you still have only a culture of burnout, basically. Like, what shall I call it the culture of burnout, but the culture of uh, not uh, counting your hours because the deadline is the most important thing. You are pushing only features and features and features. And you don't have that plan for the technical depth. You don't want to look back, etc. You are going to face big problem afterward, for sure. It's hundred percent sure this. Um, this is a problem that can't be ignored. The culture needs to evolve, and for the culture to evolve. Change agent needs to push it. It can't be just, uh, it will not happen by itself. It might, that's true, but it's rare. Like most of the time you need someone to support it. And and this is the role of, of anybody the, from the CTO to the to lead of the teams. Even sometimes, like to be honest, developers that show this, that show their, their, the, the culture uh, change agent uh, potential, usually don't stay simple developer very long because showing this type of change agent uh, position will give you leadership naturally because you will be you will be kind of seen as as the guy who want to make the thing move forward and that translate to leadership in the team quite often you show by example basically what should be done so so yeah i think this talk was very interesting uh, at the time it's uh, i i looked at it uh, uh, again recently and uh, there is a lot of things that yeah we said there that uh, we should implement we haven't actually implemented all of those definitely uh, some things are still in the work some things take very 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 long to ingrain into a company and actually move forward something you want to integrate and the moment you start integrating them you understand that you have a lot of prerequisites that are necessary so for example the devops culture uh, the fact that you know people should think a bit more global than just the the thing that they are building, like what they are producing directly. A developer should understand a bit how uh, life of the his application is gonna work, etc. Is something that is that is nice to say, but it's extremely hard to actually push to people without uh, wasting a lot of resources on this. So basically, spending time on writing endless documentation that nobody's reading, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really about the culture change, and this really takes time to grow. So this, for example, I'm quite happy to see that in our team, we are seeing uh, curiosity coming from this. 
so this means that what we started in 2018 is slowly bringing fruit, right? It's like we have this curiosity of, okay, how are the things working in the back? Also, we have this will from teams that are maturing in the, in the company to actually take over some of the, the things that were done by the DevOps team at the time. So uh, can we build our own server uh, images, at least describe them and you just have to review them? Uh, like, oh, can we do that? So we use Ansible. Can I build the Ansible playbook? Um, this is something that is the fact that it comes from them is the main thing on how a culture should be, like basically being adopted. And you can't push it top down. A culture pushed top down is just orders. It's not going to work. The moment you're not there to somehow put the pressure for it to be done, it's going to disappear straight away. Uh, because people, if, if it has to be pushed top down, then people don't understand why this is happening. And this is the main reason. So I would say that from this talk, a lot of things uh, we have, we've went uh, to, especially in terms of service architecture and things like this, a lot of, a lot of things we started doing, but still, uh, to me, the DevOps culture is an, is an infinite project. Like there, there is a North Star about something that is going to be perfect in the world, but I am unsure if we will attain it one day. Uh, first, because I'm thinking that every year this North Star goes like as one thing added on it, but um, but also because um, this is a constant improvement process. Like it's really really um, constant uh, continuous improvement. You really have to continuously improve yourself and the culture and the ways of your working for this to actually become nice and healthy. So yeah, I, I would say that's, yeah, we are on the way and I'm not really surprised that it, uh, after two years um, of moving there, we've discovered a lot of issues. We fixed a lot of others um, at the same time. We brought like this create ripple effect, which actually had to move to some other things. Okay, how do we cooperate with the product departments? Uh, what are those, uh, the cooperation between business product and dev? How does this all work together? All this rippled out from these talks of making DevOps communicate together with uh, with uh, their dev team. Right? Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, uh, even like uh, you're touching this point in, uh, in change management uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I mean, if if this event actually made this push for everybody in your team, that's the most amazing thing that can, that can happen, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I also had a question like, how is how is it today at AdCash right now? Like, how mm -hmm. do you position it? Like, uh, can you measure like how many of those methodologies you have already implemented in your culture? Mm, I think we are we are somewhat halfway there into what I would really want to do. Um, we are somewhat halfway there. However. Uh, that's what I was saying is that this halfway is would probably if looking back at the at the time we would probably be more than this it would be maybe two thirds I don't know like some, some arbitrary number but it would be more just that now the more we advance in it the more we discover some other let's say building blocks that are necessary so the target goes a bit further and but the, the process uh, still continues and it's a really really um, uh, interesting thing to do right now we are um, working a lot with the team into uh, building the R&D uh, that that at every level uh, inside the process and this is really like for example something that is really interesting uh, as well is that most of the startup will naturally do some R&D but the moment you transition to company this disappears straight away because you start working with mainly requirements 
at that moment. You really listen to your customer needs. Uh, when you're a startup, you have this balance yet of crazy things that you're trying to do because you're innovative uh, in this uh, in this field. And the fact that you're as well answering the needs of a customer that might or might not be there yet. They might not know that they have this need yet. But you are building this there. But once you transfer to a company, you have established customer, they have needs, etc. You tend to forget what real innovation is and how it should actually work. And this is something that, for example, we noticed with by doing this process of like DevOps culture changes. Because we made the people think broader, we noticed that, for example, the SRE uh wasn't innovating so much anymore on the technologies that we were picking but more reusing the things that we know works and and then you get challenges because you kind of open this uh discussion to a lot of other people who are they have new eyes on this they haven't been doing this for a very long time so they they come and they say hey by the way why don't we do this i have like like i told you i have multiple devs coming telling me why don't we develop something in rust my, my answer is usually there is half a developer in the company that develop in Rust. So let's not, you know, get ahead of ourselves there. But it, it is something that is to be considered. The reason why that person brings it there are valid reasons. Rust is a, is a language that provides better um, uh, performance in some of the cases. So why don't, don't we use this if, if actually we have this need of performance at that moment? So, so this is like those questions that you tend to not ask anymore when you are ingrained in your day-to-day -day and you're like there to, you have this. So you don't have that process of continuously thinking of, hey, what new can I integrate that will give us an edge? It's interesting. Like, but by the way, how, how do you see it right now? Is it like, um, how, how big percentage of your time are you uh, investing in these more like cultural topics and DevOps topics and like, you know, people management and people helping, and how much time you actually invest into the, like the technology itself. Uh, it's uh, changing from time to time, but uh, I would say now the the balance turned more to toward change management, culture, people, and things than technology. Um, I I do much and like less and less technology, uh, but I have a bare minimum, you know, that I can't go under it so because otherwise i will lose my edge i need to know like what i'm talking about right it's uh i can't be a cto that is trying like you can be i guess there is a possibility but that is just not who i am if i don't understand what the hell i'm talking about then i it's difficult so so this is the reason why i yeah i keep technology in my in my uh backpack and I still do some uh, some tasks often i will pick some things you know that i shouldn't be doing but i'm just like okay I, I need to I need to remember why I'm doing this. So yeah, there is there is um, there is different things there. Uh, but I would say now most of the topic are here around organization change, roles, responsibilities. How do do you change the culture? Or do you push uh, cultures there? It's because all those topics are actually more vision topic. Like they are, they don't have really uh, clear set. Uh, checklist on how you can achieve it. Like if someone had a recipe of making the DevOps culture work in every company, they would be freaking rich right now. Uh, but this isn't like this. This isn't how it works. Just because every company is different, every person are different, and culture is about people, and you have to you have to take the people into account. I mean that's that's the main point. So so yeah, this is this takes 
more time, but at, at the same time, it's really interesting. You seeing the changes in people, seeing how the people evolve, uh, seeing the freshness of like having those, those, like let's say opening the door of those type of discussion, then you can see that some people are actually, they were waiting for that. Like, I'm, I, I don't want you know to put my hand in the fire and uh, saying this, but I am sure that in every company where those discussions aren't really openly uh, done with the people uh, that that are, and I'm, I'm not talking like you know executive management and things like this. I'm talking really the people who are on the front line, uh, and that can be in any places, business, tech doesn't matter. But really at the front line, talking to those people about this, yeah, some people are just waiting to become like. Uh, to to become change agent in these topics, the only problem is that rarely those people will be doing it by themselves because this is a really big investment of energy for them to both do their job and at the same time be pushing this. You can you be you will be hitting closed door constantly, and this isn't a fun thing to do. So some people will have the willpower of doing this. Some people will not, and and this isn't a bad thing. Like everybody is different. So. That's your role, like, and I'm, I'm talking as a general thing, but as a manager, that's your role to open that discussion. It's your role to actually make sure that everybody can bring their piece to the to the building, the, the, that you're to what you're trying to do, and also that you leave them the possibility to speak uh, the, the, on these things. And this this usually changes everything. The moment you enter uh, this room, like, it, it might take time because. You might actually take meetings and discuss. We take those guys in and ask those questions, and you will be you will see them completely lost, like with eyes like this, you know, uh, because because they aren't like they aren't used to that. So they will be like taken aback. They will be unprepared, etc. Next time you do it, you will probably have maybe one or two people that came uh, with some ideas, and then next time they will be prepared. They will actually have proposition for you. And then and in a year in the year time, you actually just got yourself two leaders in, in changing the culture. Like this is just really about uh, opening the, the discussions. And I and this is something that I learned in the past and I'm trying to do more now. And it's really I still have I'm learning as well. Like I mean this is the same for me, right? Everything goes like I think everybody's learning uh at these things, but this is great. Like this is this is the uh, this is what makes it enjoyable. Yeah, I really like your approach, and I, you know, I think it, it has to be nice to actually to working with your team. So uh, yeah, it was nice listening to this uh, ideas about also the culture and not all only about the technology. Mm -hmm. And you know, we had like a lot of like serious discussions right now, but I have like one uh, one a bit different question. I know we'll that fight. you are like a lover of beers. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you tell us yeah. which one is your favorite? Huh. <laughs> I, I think this is probably the second hardest question that you ask me. What is the favorite, uh, my favorite beer? Um, as a type of beer, I would definitely go with barley wine. It's a really, really weird type of beer that's not a lot of, it's very niche, but it's something that I really enjoy a lot. However, I would say that my favorite beer at the moment, because it keeps changing, um, is the Poyal Levike. I think this is probably the my favorite beer, so Estonian uh, uh, brewery, um, and uh, and the beer that is uh, that has both a bit of uh, um, how do sour is it sourish and as well as like this kind of fruity uh, aftertaste. Perfect. This is exactly what I usually uh, drink uh, right now uh, in the 
somewhat winter, not really winter anymore, but in Estonia it's a bit, uh, it's, uh, you have only winter and then autumn. So, um, so yes, this is, uh, this is, I would say this is the answer, yeah. Levike for now. Wow, that's that's a good answer. I mean, for for all the Estonians who are listening, so yeah. So, oh, Estonia also... is amazing for beers. Like, oh. if you have beer lover, uh, anyway, send them to Estonia. This is like the the strongest uh, craft beer country I've been to, I believe. Like, uh, US has strong uh, uh, craft beer scene as well, but Estonia, if you bring it to the prorata of the number of people and the size of the country. This this is absolutely crazy. The number of, there is more brewery uh, per people than anywhere else. <laughs> awesome. Uh, we also have this podcast tradition where we have this call a game called like explain uh, those definitions like I'm five year old. You know. So. Oh yes. Yeah, we have like five of them here, and maybe you can uh, try to explain them to me like I'm a kid. You know, like a small yeah, one. <laughs> that, that's gonna be very complicated. I saw. I, I imagine. Let's okay. Let's try it. Let's try it. Let's see. Yeah, let's try. Let's try to you know get everything out out from our head and let's mm -hmm. let's move forward. So the first one is the CTO. Oof, oh, this is a, yeah. This is a really hard one. Mm. Yeah, I w it it yeah, it's really hard. Like, how the fuck would I explain that to a kid? Um, yeah, I would I I would say something that I said before, right? It's a person uh, a person who's here to help uh, people working with him do more, better, and um, and feel better in their job, basically. Good, yeah, awesome. I think I think for a, for a kid, it's a it's a really good explanation. Uh, what about the next one? Let's let's try to kind of define public cloud for kids. Hmm. Yeah, it's not an easy one either. But I would I would go with something um, like something like it's a, it's a service or something like this. Maybe service is complicated for a kid, but let's imagine that they would understand it, right? A shop, a shop for infinite computers uh, with very, uh, very, very fast computers uh, and unlimited ones, but that cost a lot of money. I think that would be my answer for it. <laughs> Good one. So, and uh, let's go for the next one, which is uh, truth. We mean that much <laughs> truth. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. This uh, this one is already complicated to explain to adults. So, <laughs> like, I, I'm I'm already having a hard time explaining it to the people who are actually using it. So I'm not hundred percent sure I can explain it to a kid. Uh, uh, maybe a, 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 like it's some somewhat of a magical software that does very very fast calculation. On a lot of information, I would say that's the, that's the only thing that I could get. Really that, hard. That was the best way how to how to put it, I suppose. Uh, so we have two more to go. Uh, okay. Let's go for like uh, a DevOps. Oh, ah, this one I have. Uh, this one I have already one for this because um, I use it uh, as well outside of this when I have to explain, you know, to people who aren't tech savvy. I say that it's basically the the DevOps is basically the fusion. Uh, if we aren't talking about the culture, if we're talking about the person that are that are taking that role more, is the fusion of the the guy who write the software, right? the smart guy who write the software, and the cool guy who makes sure that it works uh, when <laughs> when you use it. That's it. It's oh, that's... it's the simple one. But yeah, for <laughs> culture, culture is too complicated to explain to a kid in this sense. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it, it was the nice way to put it. And it's, it's quite clear for, for even the for adult. So, and uh, the least, the la not the least, but the last is like uh, AdCash, like uh, your company, AdCash. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say just basically uh, we are a bunch of people that make sure we can, that make sure people, content creators, so people who have websites, people who own websites can um, display advertisements, get some money for it, and uh, and that's it. Like I would say that's that's pretty much it. Obviously, obviously, I should add that we also are making money on that because this is probably something that is important. So but basically, yes. so basically, like uh, we're a money machine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think most of the company are money machines. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should uh, go with this definition for kids. Perfect. Th thank you very much, Anthony. Actually, maybe next time I can do it uh, even more fun, and I can bring my four-year-old four-year-old's daughter and try to check if well, she really understand it. You know, that would be extremely fun. Yes, because I uh, yeah I I believe, and we could be surprised because kids usually have a really interesting way of seeing things. And um, so that could be really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you got yourself a concept here. <laughs> yeah, next time we have to try it. Uh, okay, and we have uh, like one of our last parts of the podcast uh, where we are usually asking our guests for uh, sharing with us like uh, some favorite stuff or favorite mm -hmm. media they follow. So could you please tell us like three media you follow and doesn't have to be like necessarily like, you know, the industry specific, so not the technology mm -hmm. ones. It could be like some hobby ones or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, okay. By media, if I if I understand media as, um, let's say, like, let's say platform or type of, uh, of uh, entertainment or information that I digest, um, I would say that um, I usually read uh, articles, like small articles. So I don't really follow uh, per se a specific uh, media platform or something like this. Uh, I usually pick cherry pick things that uh, look interesting to me. Uh, usually through like the classical things like Hacker News, Medium Wire, like, or something that I find on Reddit. Um, but uh, I, in media channel, there is, uh, for entertainment purposes, I actually use uh, quite a lot of Twitch. I'm a avid gamer, so I also uh, enjoy the streaming community quite inter quite a lot. And not on and the topic of that goes together with the streaming community. So a bit more um, uh, complex topic there. So the technology that is based there. So the the, the Twitch dev blog spots and etc. Are kind of interesting as well. Uh, the game development community goes together with this, and this is also a media that I follow in in the sense of following a lot of dev. Um, blogs from companies that are developing games, uh, Riot Games being the one that I uh, more recently followed, but there is there is more of them. And yeah, I would say like mostly that as that is the type of media that I really consume, like mostly mm -hmm. articles that I cherry pick from yeah Medium, Wired, etc., and uh, and this type of media which are more entertainment, uh, Twitch, etc. Okay, if you mentioned also Reddit, do you have some mm -hmm. favorite subreddit actually? Oh yeah, uh, but uh, I have a favorite subreddit, but uh, it's mostly because of hobby interest. I uh, I um, I am a Dungeon and Dragon player, pen and paper, and uh, so I'm following the official D&D &D Reddit, which is an 
goldmine of everything from creation of content to, to cool guys bringing stories or telling their stories or their horror stories. Uh, you can even see here the map behind me of, uh, of uh, Dungeon and Dragon uh, uh, region uh, behind my head. But yeah, um, so yeah, D&D. And more recently, uh, for the fame and the fun, uh, I'm quite, uh, quite a lot following a Wall Street bet. If you haven't followed that story, uh, I advise you to look into it. This is an extremely interesting topic. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. Well, it, yeah, right now, nobody can predict what the fuck is going on with this. It's like uh, like this, as you said, and like this, and it's like this again. So who knows? Uh, who knows? Who knows? Uh, but yeah, this this uh, this place is really a fun mix of knowledge and uh, and and very serious discussion and complete crazy memes. So it's it can be it can be quite entertaining. Yeah, it's a it's a good mix. Uh, and for the Twitch, you have like a favorite streamer. Oh, it's a it's a very uh, big question. Uh, I follow mostly um, uh, French streamers right now uh, because the community in France is really interesting. So there is like a lot of people present. This community is really eclectic. Like um, the US community is really really uh, well built around a certain model, which the French community don't really do. Like they they have these guys, but they mostly have some other models. So I'm following a guy named Zerator. Uh, who's um, who's uh, a crazy entrepreneur that started as a, as a streamer like really really long time ago, and he does pretty much everything. And he has organized quite a lot of cool things like charity uh, run. That uh, I think the last value I would have to double check the exact value, but I think the last one was like maybe four million euro that they raised in one weekend. It's a freaking crazy events. So it's really interesting, and uh, I follow some uh, more uh, uh, traditional streamers from uh, from the US um, that are uh, let's say skilled gamer uh, that are fun to watch. But um, but yeah, I, the streaming world is actually moving so much right now. There is a lot of new topics. Um, recently, there is like uh, there was a lot of discussion because back in France, some guy started uh, doing political uh, interviews in streams, and uh, in the US, it's very common to have uh, political uh, groups or uh, news. Um, uh, channel using the streaming platform. So they understood that there is quite a lot of movement there. So it's really new as a, as a mainstream model. So I wouldn't say that for this topic, like that is more industry related more than entertainment. I don't follow really someone in particular, but there is really a lot of interesting insight uh, to get at following how this community is growing, how this channel, this media channel is growing. Because end of the day, it's pretty young um, uh, channel as a popular, uh, as a popular one. It was very niche since like 10 years maybe, but it's it's quite rare uh, and popular. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I fully agree. By the way, what about Twitter? I, I'm not a big user of Twitter. I guess uh, I, I've never jumped that, uh, uh, would you say, that, uh, that uh, step for me. I've never started using Twitter. Uh, it's... Um, it's an interesting, like, I don't know why, like, to be honest, I have no clue why, but uh, I haven't really got uh, there. The only person that I've ever followed in Twitter is Miko Uponen. If you if you know who is this guy, is the chief research officer of F-Secure. Uh, so he's a very um, uh, popular person in the world of uh, cybersecurity because 
contrary to what you could think, he's an extremely good communicant. Like he has a really well uh, way of putting things down. Uh, he's doing tons of podcasts, discussions, uh, TED talk, opening ceremonies, keynotes, and whatever, what what not, in a lot of events. And he's um, he's really interesting. He has a very interesting take on most of the on most of the issues on most of the problem. Uh, while being one of the most active uh, researcher, uh, public researcher on, on this topic, so um, on cyber cybersecurity. Totally agree. I rec recall this guy as well, and I mean, if he's speaking, you will understand everything so clearly, yes. and the way he puts yes. it, it's it's amazing. So yes, this guy would be a champion at explain like I'm five. Uh, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> you should invite him. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You should have told him to answer instead yeah. of me. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. You know, just wrap it up and sum it up, Anthony. Thank you very much. I mean, it was lovely to meet you, and uh, all those insights that you share with us are so practical. And uh, I mean, there's lots of value in all the listeners that are going to listen to our podcast, and uh, really look forward to catch up with you in the future as well. I'm glad you liked it, and I really enjoyed my stay here as well. Like, it's a pretty, uh, it was a pretty nice format. Um, talking to you guys is always uh, welcome. So yes. For sure, we can uh, we can organize that in the future if needed. Oh, that's great, that's great. But yeah, for all the for the for all the listeners, then uh, listeners, it's uh, it's all now. So we are finishing up, and thank you for listening. And uh, make sure to follow our Revolchi Facebook and Twitter page handle at Revolchi, and join our meetup groups at CloudNate Prague if you haven't already. And uh, thank you for listening, and see you next time. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys. See you next time.